Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stay with me this morning. So good to see you. How's everybody doing? I tell you what, I'm a believer. You got any believers in here? I, I was telling Matt and Carrie, I, I have this vision of uh, Zach, our last singer, running around the church about this big with a little flat top haircut. And I tell you what, I have to keep from crying when I think about him being raised up in the church. And it's awesome, isn't it? Look at your neighbor and say, You look marvelous today. You're looking really good. That's awesome. I have a little granddaughter by the name of Riley. She's going to be three years old in June, and she's right now really into uh, Lion King. And it's Mufasa and Simba and Scar. And she has a birthday in June, so her Uncle Matt asked her, said, Riley, what would you like for your birthday uh, in, in June? And this is what she responded, a kingdom. <laughs> Takes after her grandma, she wants a kingdom. <laughs> but there is a kingdom, and it's the kingdom of God. We pray about it, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And Jesus is the king of that kingdom. He's king of kings, and he's lord of lords. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to be here today. We love you. Uh, let your word do what your word does. Uh, inspire our hearts. Lead us, guide us, and anoint your word through my lips today. In Jesus' holy name, amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 1 beloved i now write to you this second epistle in both of which i stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us the apostles of the lord and savior knowing this first everybody say first that scoffers will come in the last days according uh, the walk according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. We've been on a series called The Last Days, and we've been doing it on Sunday night, but I want to continue on Sunday morning. Every believer needs to hear this, and the world needs to hear this. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, you're in trouble. You're walking and treading on dangerous ground. Because Jesus is going to come. And before he plants his feet on the Mount of Olives, he's going to catch his bride, his church, away. We call it the rapture. It's not a word in the Bible, but it's the catching away. And that Greek word means to snatch away or catch away or bring to yourself very quickly. And we know how, but we don't know when. We know how, but we don't know when. Now, the how is described very vividly in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it's verses 13 through 18. And I'm not going to read all that, but many of you are Bible believers, you know what it says, some of you don't, so let me just hit the highlights. 
We know that Jesus Christ is coming, and Paul says, I want you to be informed. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of these things, so I want you to know what's going to happen in the future. The Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and the trump of God shall sound. And then he says, the dead in Christ will rise. And then we who are alive and remain shall be got up together with them, and the them is Jesus, and the dead in Christ will be got up together with them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now this is what Paul says, the last line of that chapter, he says, now comfort one another with these words. So if you think about the last days, or you hear preached or taught about the last days, it shouldn't make you fearful, it should make you comfortable in the sense that you know where you're going, who's coming after you, and what's going to happen in the last days. Now, I don't want you to get so comfortable. You sit on your pew and uh, don't do anything. We need to be about the master's business more today than ever because time is short and it's coming to an end as we know it. Now, he says, comfort one another with these words. So th this is what we know. Now, Jesus picks this up again in Matthew chapter 24, verses 26 through 28. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner chamber or rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so is also the coming of the Son of Man. This is how it's going to be. Wherever the body or the carcass is, there's where the eagles will gather together. Now, listen, this is Matthew 24. He begins this chapter with a dialogue between the disciples and Jesus. This is how it goes. They're on the Mount of Olives. They're looking across the Kidron Valley to the Temple Mount. And there on the Temple Mount is the temple, Herod's temple, that he built for the Jews. It's majestic. It's large. It's huge. But today there's nothing there. As far as the temple, there's two Muslim mosques there, but this is what Jesus said in response to those disciples. They said, look how large, look how massive, look how wonderful this temple is, and then Jesus responds, and he says, let me tell you something, in not very many days, a few years, there will not be one stone left upon another on this temple mount, and it was absolutely fulfilled in 70 A.D., Titus came in with the Roman legions, and they devastated Jerusalem. Over a million people died, and they tore down the temple. They leveled the temple mount. So Jesus' words, his prophecy, his prediction came to pass. There was not one stone left on another. So that's how this Olivet Discourse begins in chapter 24. But what I want you to catch here, he said it's going to be like lightning coming from the east to the west. So what does that mean? It's going to be sudden, in a flash, in, in just a moment, there, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, our Lord, will be there, and he says, wherever the carcass or the bodies are, and that Greek word means one who was dead, they'll be gathered with the eagles. Where do the eagles gather? In the air, and that's where you and I are going to gather. We're going to be in the air. I tell you what, that's pretty exciting. I've never been that high before. But I'm going. Anybody here going? And don't be left behind. Can I hear an amen? So like a flash, very quickly, it's going to happen. Now, when Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So you can't go to heaven in the body you have. 
And some of you are saying, thank God. Anybody up for a new body? Now, I don't know about you, but this will happen if the Lord tarries very much longer. You're going to get up in the morning and you're going to say, oh God, help me today. I'm having hip trouble. I'm having, you know, uh, arthritis or rheumatism or whatever the case may be. Or maybe you're battling today an illness, a disease, or a condition. Here's the good news. None of those are going to be in heaven. And the Bible says, and this is what Paul said, he said, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That moment is a Greek word that is atomos, which is the word Adam. And it is an indivisible moment. Now, track with me here for a moment. You know, in, in a year we have months, and in a month we have weeks, and in a day we have hours, and in an hour we have minutes, and in the minutes we have seconds, right? We, we can divide it up. But this is what Paul's saying. In that moment, you can't divide it. It's so quick. Boom, it's there. So your body, my body, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, is going to be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, faster than you can blink your eye, which is very, very fast. You're going to have a new body because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So your mortality is going to be changed into what? Immortality. The terrestrial is going to be changed into the celestial. So you're going to be a new person in Jesus Christ. Now, you are spiritually today, but your body is going to be changed. Hallelujah. Praise God. In that moment. Now, notice what happens when you go up in that catching away or the rapture, boom, you have a new body. And I have a new body. He, he again addresses this like a flash. Verse 30 of Matthew 24, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet. Everybody say trumpet. I mean, this is thematic, right? The trump of God's going to sound with the sound of a trumpet. And they, the angels, will gather together his elect from the four winds of the four corners of the earth, from one end of heaven to the other. And what are they going to do? They're going to gather together. He's coming on the clouds. We sing that, don't we? You know why we sing it? Because it's scriptural. Acts chapter 1, Jesus is with his disciples. He's getting ready to ascend to heaven. They're having a conversation. He's talking about the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Uh, He's going to have them go to the upper room. They're going to receive the promise. And while they're having a conversation, look at me just for a minute. This is awesome. While they're having a conversation, Jesus begins to lift off the earth. Gravity loses its hold on Jesus and begins to float up into the heavens. Now, if I had been a disciple and I had been talking to Jesus... And all of a sudden now, he begins to lift off the earth. My jaw is going to be right about here. And yours too. So you're watching him lift off the earth. He's going up in the clouds. Here are these disciples. They're watching this. (laughs) The clouds receive him out of their sight. They can't see him anymore. He's somewhere up there. And then when they direct their attention back to the earth, there's two people standing with them that wasn't there previously. They're angels. How many of you know in the mouth of two or three witnesses? Let everything be established. So these two witnesses are standing there, 
And this is what the witnesses say to the disciples. You men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing? This same Jesus that you've seen go will come again in like manner. He went up in the clouds, and guess what? He's going to come back in the clouds. But the good news is we're going to meet him in the clouds. So the dead in Christ, your loved ones who serve the Lord, uh, everybody here, I mean, without doubt, everybody here, you, you've had maybe a mother that's passed, a dad, a spouse, a child, someone that you love that's, that's dead. Guess what? They're going to be resurrected. And you're going to get to see them again. And, and we're, we're going to meet them in the air. There's going to be a generation that never dies. I firmly believe, now this is just my belief, that you and I may live at the coming of Jesus. And especially these younger people here. Now why would you say that? Because Jesus said there will be a generation that never dies. Now, now one of the things that I teach this, when Lazarus died and Martha comes, and Jesus says, I'm the resurrection, he, he said there are some that though they were dead, yet shall they live, and there are some, yet they shall live, they shall never die. Now, there was a doctrine that started out of that called the never die doctrine. Guess what happened to them? They all died. Because Jesus wasn't addressing that moment. He was addressing what? He was addressing his coming or the catching away in the rapture. Because there will be a generation that never dies. I heard someone put it this way. So you get to heaven and, and you're walking around and you say, well, how did you die? Well, I got run over by a train or a car got me or I was in the war. How about you? Didn't die. How many of you know that's the way you want to go? I would just soon never die. But if I do, if I know Jesus Christ, then uh, I will meet you as you come up, right? Because the dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be cut up together with them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the, the Lord. And then Paul said, comfort one another with these words. So that's what he's saying. Now, Notice this in, in verse 30 through 31. He's coming on the clouds, great sound of the trumpet, and he's going to gather his elect. So that's how. Everybody say that with me. That's how. Here's the second part. We don't know the when. We know the how, but we don't know the when. Now, why don't we know the when? Because human nature, some of you wouldn't get ready to the last moment. This is Matthew 25. When Jesus is talking about the last days and the rapture, the coming, the catching away, he doesn't stop at the end of Matthew 24. It continues on through 25. The first thing he says in Matthew 25 is the parable of the ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. So this is what he says. Listen as I read. That the kingdom of heaven will be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps. They went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise. Five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, Say no, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather 
to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, and he said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Now listen to verse 13. This is Jesus speaking. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. You know when he's coming? You know the season. You know the time. But this is what you don't know. You don't know the day, nor do you know the hour. So Jesus is very clear here. What I did this week, because the symbolism here is so strong and powerful, I began to research Jewish weddings. And the reason I did that is because when we finish this morning, you're going to understand the reason. Because this is about a wedding. Jewish weddings first start with an espousal. There are families that get together, and they decide this would be good for your daughter or my son to get together. So mainly, they were arranged marriages. When I look at some of the marriages today, parents may could do a better job. And all the young people said, good God, Pastor, don't say that. But there would be an espousal. It was contractual. It was almost covenant, if you will, because that espousal could not be broken without a legal divorce, even though the, the marriage ceremony had never happened yet. So when you look at Joseph and Mary, they were espoused to be married, right? And so they couldn't see anybody else. They couldn't go to the drive-in movie theater with anybody else. I mean, you know, they, they, they had to keep themselves pure for each other because there was going to be a wedding, and that wedding was going to happen in the future. So there had to be an espousal. Now, in this espousal, there is a price paid by the groom to the bride and her family. So there's a transaction that happens here. It is called a mohar. In the Jewish, it's a mohar. So there, there is a, 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 an exchange here. There, there's a price that's paid. Here is an example of this. This is Genesis chapter 24. How many of you remember Abraham and Sarah began to look for a bride for their son Isaac? They did not want him to marry a Canaanite. So if you're thinking about getting engaged, do not marry a Canaanite. They were rude, crude. They served idols. I mean, they were a bad bad group of people. So Abraham says, hey, we got to find a suitable bride for our son Isaac. So what he does, he, he gets Eliezer, which is the servant of the house. He says, I need you to go back to our home country in Mesopotamia, and I need you to find a suitable bride for our son Isaac. So here he goes. He goes back, and Abraham's praying. Eliezer's praying, the servant of, uh, of Abraham. And when he gets to a well, you know the story? He gets there, he's praying, and he's praying almost like a fleece prayer. Lord, if this is meant to be, let this happen. How many of you have ever prayed that? Lord, if it's meant to be, to be at the donut shop, let there be a parking spot right in front. <laughs> Y'all are so holy. So he prays this prayer. So he gets to the well, and there is a young lady who comes out and says, uh, you know, are you new, new here? Can, can I give you a drink of water? Uh, can, can I refresh you? Can I water your camels? 
So listen, the, the servant of Abraham has a little mini caravan, if you will. Do you know how much water a camel can drink? Now, she couldn't turn on the spigot, get the water hose. She had to draw the water by hand. And she watered all of the servant of Abraham's camels. And this was a sign. This was the sign that this is the one, and he's praying, God, you know, if this is the one, let, let me understand, this is the one, who are you? And she said, my name is Rebecca. And so she takes him back to her family. Now let's pick up the story, verse 52, and when it came to pass, when Abraham's servant heard their words, that he worshiped the Lord, bowed himself to the earth, then the servant brought out jewelry of silver jewelry of gold and clothing and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brethren, to her mother. What is he doing? The Mohar, he is saying, I want to enter in to this relationship and here is the riches of my servant and the son so that if you would consider going back with me to be his bride. So that is in some way the Jewish wedding beginning. So there's the espousal, the groom. Uh, once there is the espousal, he goes, this is so interesting, he goes back to his father's house to begin to prepare a dwelling place for his bride. So he's going to marry this young lady, and they have to have a place to live. So he goes back, and he begins to build a house or an addition or apartment, whatever you want to call it, a hoopah. And he, 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 he builds the place so that when he finishes building the place, then he's going to go back and get his bride and bring her to the wedding ceremony. And once they have the ceremony, they now have a place to live. So he goes to prepare a place. When the home is ready, he goes back to get the bride. Now, how does he know when the home is ready? Well, Jewish tradition says uh, he has his father inspect it. Has anyone ever built anything? And then someone comes and inspects it. And they said, oh, I don't know, you need some more work there. You know, you, you might want to have uh, some uh, different things. You might want to put some doors on, on the rooms or something, you know. Um, it's like when you get married and you have kids, uh, every bedroom for a mother and father needs to have a lock on it. That didn't cost you anything extra, I'm just telling you. Some good wise counsel here. Because that father knows how that house needs to be positioned to bring a bride back into that home because this young man never had, had a bride before, right? So when that dwelling place is ready, the groom goes back to the bride to take her home. You remember the parable I just read? The bride does not know when the groom's coming. So she has to be ready. She has to have her wedding garments ready. She has her oil in the lamp. She has her wick trim. She has the light on because she doesn't know exactly when he's coming. But when he comes, there's a cry. And here at midnight, the bridegroom is coming. And as I research Jewish weddings, you know what they do in many of the Jewish weddings? Even to this day, when the bride and the bridegroom come together, they blow the shofar, which is the trumpet. And when the trumpet is blown, then the bride and the bridegroom come out together and they meet. And now they finish the wedding. 
So the bride doesn't really know when the groom is coming. And so when they blow that trumpet, then we know they're getting together, which explains John 14. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to get you. You know what all the symbolism is? It is a Jewish wedding. How many of you know Jesus wasn't from Pennsylvania? He was from Israel. He is a Jew. He was birthed a Jew. He knew the law. He knew the feasts, the festivals. He knew the traditions. So what is he doing? He's using Jewish wedding imagery to explain his coming. I am going to prepare a place for you. They understood that concept. We don't quite get it. How many of you know they knew it, and now today you get it? They did not know when the groom was coming. And guess what? The five foolish did not get to go with the groom because they were not ready. Someone said if you always stay ready, you don't have to get ready, do you? You need to stay ready. You see, I I don't know when Jesus is coming. I know the how. I don't know the when. But if I know that he is coming, then I need to be ready when he comes. And he may come tomorrow. He may not come for a hundred years. But this is what you need to do. You just always need to be ready. I mean, you know, go to work, uh, you know, get married, have kids, prepare for retirement. Uh, You know, he may not come for a hundred years, but you need to be ready like he would come tomorrow. Because he will come. Can I hear an amen? Amen. You know where Jesus first made his public appearing? At a wedding. It's in John chapter 2. So here he is. He's with his family. He's with his disciples. He's with his mother. They run out of wine at the marriage of Canaan. How many of you remember that in the Bible? John 2. So Mary comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, we're, we're, we're out of wine here. This is embarrassing. Could you help? And Jesus said, you know, woman, my time has not yet come. How many of you know his mother started him in ministry? I mean, she started the ball rolling here. You always should listen to your mama. So here, here he is. He says, here's six water pots. Fill them up. Bear them to the governor of the feast. So somewhere between those water pots being filled up with water and the governor of the feast receiving that, the water turns into wine. And you say, well, that's a miracle. According to the Bible, it's not a miracle. Can I read it? This beginning of signs, John 2, 11, Jesus did in Canaan of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. There are signs, wonders, and miracles. A miracle, wow, that's a miracle. A wonder, I wonder how he did that. A sign, what's a sign? A sign is pointing to something. A sign is giving you information. When you drove to church this morning, there were speed limit signs that most of you ignored while you were coming. <laughs> I tell this often, when my boys were growing up, if we were in a hurry to get somewhere, if they were chomping at the bits to get somewhere, they'd say, Dad, let Mama drive. <laughs> Mama can drive. I mean, she's the Andretti of the McCord family. She knows how to go. It's a sign. So, so what, what happens? The first sign was at a wedding. 
And guess what's the last thing that you're going to do from this earth with Jesus? You're going to go to a wedding. And the wedding is the marriage supper of the Lamb that you and I are going to participate, and it's going to be absolutely wonderful. And we're living in the last days, and the signs of the last days are now appearing before your eyes over and over and over again. Now in this series, and let me wrap this up, when we were talking about this, this is very evident that these signs are now rapidly on the radar. So if you were with us last Sunday night, the first one I talked about was a falling away. Say that with me, a falling away. Let's say it again, a falling away. Now what does that mean? So Paul is writing his letter to the, to the church at Thessalonica, the Thessalonians. He said, this shall not happen until first there shall be a falling away. The word is apostasia, which we get the word apostasy. It means this, in the world when Jesus returns back and we're caught up, it's an unbelieving world full of apostasy. Now it's not just from the outside, it's also from the inside. It's an inside job. Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, the Spirit speaks very clearly, expressly in the last days that they will not endure sound doctrine, right? But they will start believing the doctrines of demons and devils. So what are we seeing in our world today? Not from unbelievers or outside the church. We're seeing today within the church there are doctrines that are not unifying the church. But what are they doing? They're dividing the church. And I know who divides the church. I know who brings division. I know who brings confusion. It's not Jesus. It's the enemy. But there's certain foundational doctrines or beliefs that we need to embrace. And when we tarry away from that or we escape from that or we wander from that, then we know it's one of the signs of the last days. There's always been unbelievers. There's always been weird uh, belief systems and doctrines but I want to tell you, in your generation, in my generation, now we're seeing things that we thought were fundamental now escaping the church, and we're bringing a lot of stuff in that is not biblical. And it's a sign. He, he says it's, there, there's going to be a falling away first. The second thing we talked about is the return of Israel. Huge sign. Because this is what the prophets said. Israel would be scattered, not just in Babylon returned from 70 years of captivity, but when the Romans came, they were dispersed all over the earth. And then the Lord said He would bring them back. He would gather them back from the four corners of the world, from amongst the nations, not nation singular, but nation plural. And He says, I'm going to bring them back. And this is what the prophet said. He said, can a nation be birthed in a day? The answer is yes. Has that ever happened? Once. In 1948, May, when the British government gave up control over Palestine, David Ben-Gurion said, Today we establish a new nation or reestablish the nation of Israel. And on that day, everybody say day, day. President Harry Truman on that day recognized Israel as a nation the same day Israel declared themselves as a nation and the biblical prophecy can a nation be established in a day absolutely came true. I want to tell you 
the veracity of biblical prophecy is 100% accurate. God has never failed in prophecy. Falling away, it's happening right now before your eyes. Have you ever heard this, and I've said it? Never take a preacher's word for anything. And I, and I are a preacher. You know where you need to get truth from? Not from my words, from the Word of God. If I preach something that's not in the Word of God, how many of you know you don't have to listen to that? That's not the Word of God. But if it's in the Word of God, whether you disagree with it, I disagree with it, your opinion, my opinion, nothing of that matters. Let me tell you what matters. Thus saith the Word of God. That matters. So there, there's going to be a falling away. Israel's going to come back and become a nation again. Now here's another one that we haven't talked about. Let's go back where we started this morning. 2 Peter 3, 1-4. through 4. Beloved, now I write to you this second epistle. So this is his last letter that we know that he's written. He said, I want to stir up your mind. I want to remind you, you be mindful of the words which are spoken by the prophets and by us, the apostles of the Lord. Verse 3, knowing this first, here's another first, that scoffers will come in the last days. Oh, we're not waiting for that. It's here. There are people who think you're absolutely crazy because you believe in Jesus Christ. And even among the church, there are some people who believe you and I are crazy because we believe that Jesus is going to come back. That there's going to be a rapture catching away. That we believe that one day Jesus is going to come back and His feet are going to land on the Mount of Olives and He's going to cross the Kidron Valley and go back into Jerusalem and He's going to be crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And He's going to reign for a thousand years. I believe that. You know why? It's in the Word of God. You say, that sounds like some weird movie. Well, I don't know what it sounds like. I'm just telling you, that's the Word of God. And so you and I, we, we're believers, and this is what Peter says. He says, this scoffing thing, this mocking thing is going to get worse and worse, and the sign of the last days is that they're going to make fun of, mock, and scoff about what we believe and the return of Jesus Christ in the last days. And friends, it is here today. Movies, television, music, news. I got where I can't hardly watch the news anymore. Because these people... Don't tell the truth. They just don't tell the truth. The truth is shifting sand. Do you wear a mask or you don't wear a mask? Can you get it from touching something or you can get it from not touching something? How many of you know what I'm talking about here? You know, if we give trillions of dollars away to people not to work, that's going to help us. And now we can't find employees because you make more money sitting at home on your butt than you do working. That didn't cost anything extra. I'm not going to look over at Carrie. I'm not saying some things aren't good, but sometimes we take it so far we've lost our ever-loving mind. Can't eat too many hamburgers now. (laughs) 
You know what the Bible says that in the last days there'll be famine? Brilliant minds are moving us to famine. Confessing themselves to be wise, I know the rest of it, they have become fools. Are you in the last days? Yes, you are. Does it seem weird? It does to me. But you know, that's not my hope. My hope is not here. My hope is built on something besides this world. And your hope is built on something beside this world. So don't be fearful. This should be a comfort to you. You say, well, Pastor, you know, I'm fixing to have a baby and I got little kids and and I know I got grandkids, had a new baby last week. And I mean, not, not me personally, but uh, as the grandparents, we, Carrie and I had a new baby last week. And it's kind of weird times, but uh, you know what? Paul said this should be a comfort to you. This should be encouraging to you. This should be something that, that, that we rejoice in and we, we, we revel in, if you will, that, that no matter how bad the world gets, we're going to be okay. Because of Jesus. This morning I used this little analogy, and I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but maybe you've been in the yard and the kids are out there playing in the yard of the grandkids, and a stray dog comes up, and maybe it looks a little vicious or it's barking, you don't know what it's going to do, and you run out and you gather the kids up in the yard, bring them in the house. Guess what? When this world looks like it is going down, guess what the Lord does? He goes out in the yard and he says, Come on, kids, let's go in the house. I got a place prepared for you. Been working on it for 2,000 years. And I want you to be with me and I want you to come home with me. And Paul says, comfort one another with these words. And that is a comfort, isn't it? And I believe that because that's what the Bible says. If you don't know Jesus today, oh my friends, you need to know him. Because we're living in the last days. Bow your head with me. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.